Welcome to the Renegade Reports. Ramon, how are you doing? Oh, very well, thank you. Our first post-election Renegade Reports uh, recording. Yeah, and, I'm coming um, to you quite fresh, actually. Yes, if you listen to this uh, tonight, we recorded this afternoon, because we are well um, precise. And <laughs> well precise. It's us, we're well precise, but not very good at English. Um, the elections were interesting. I mean, uh, there, w- there were some... Uh, Good predictions that polling we thought might not be correct was correct on a lot of things. I know, awkward. We did a whole yeah, show on we, we polling did. is not great. <laughs> this polling is great. Yeah, so um, we don't know yet what's happening coalition-wise. Does anyone know? I see EFF is releasing the decision tomorrow. I mean, I can only foresee a, a DA-EFF coalition in the major metros. I don't, I don't see the ANC cracking invite there, I must be honest. Well, well, at least they got the ARC, you know. They stole their colors. They stole um, pretty much everything from them. Um, and, uh, well, now they're, they're back together, you know. So, so everyone's a happy family. Yeah, they're back together. I don't, in which metro? I, I forgot. Something small. I think, it, I think it was Kurileni, which oh, I think it? might, give them, might right. give them the majority there. But the, but the most important thing about this election was not about policy, really. It was about what message the people voted for. Well, which, which, which the ANC NEC decided to ignore completely. No, but the message about the, um, how people, how the messages prior to the election of the ANC was, you know, why monopoly capital, vote Khafar, why people are racist. Yeah, the, the, the racial sort of campaigning. That EFF we, we was about, about land and colonialism and decolonization. And then the, but ANC lost 10%, EFF won 2% or gained 2%. Like, all right. So most voters do not get, they don't care mm. about those. Uh, not policy. So, so Twitter's not real life. I can't believe it. Oh, I'm so devastated. I can't believe it. The race war is postponed once again. Much yeah. to the chagrin of some people on Twitter. Um, so I, that brings us straight into our guest this week. Uh, our guest, um, might be known to some of you. Uh, we'll chat to him about how he was, uh, uh, challenging for the mayoral position on the DA uh, ticket in Joburg. Uh, he is uh, Professor Rabelani Dagada. He's an author. He's an associate professor, uh, telling me that he lectures at Wits and, and Vol, uh, Voltec. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, he's also a PhD in information systems and a fellow at the Institute of Race Relations. So if I can hit the board properly, welcome to the show, Rabelani. Thank you very much. Can call you Rabelani? Yes, please. Okay, great. So... Uh, I know uh, Ramon and, and, and yourself were having a bit of a chat off air before we started. Uh, I don't know the story about uh, your sort of your life story, where you where you all started. Um, so why don't we just um, let's start right at the beginning, Rabalani. So I, I asked you a question about why do you like the market so much or, or capitalism so much, and then you gave a very interesting story about your youth. So let's start there. No, it has um, it has much to do with. Um, how I, I grew up, that um, as an individual, you can do a lot to empower yourself without um, 
being too dependent or, or having feelings of um, entitlement. I mean, I was born in um, Alexander way back in 1971, mm. obviously long before the trophy were born. Mm. And then um, that long. <laughs> <laughs> just before uh, I had to go to school, there, there was a lot of violence in, in Johannesburg. And, and my father uh, took us to, to Venda, so far in the rural areas, closer to Messina. But unfortunately, my dad died when I was um, nine years old. And really, I mean, I was, um, uh, uh, I mean, previously chatting to my colleague here that um, uh, nobody can claim that they've suffered in terms of poverty than me. So I know the worst. I mean, I went to school barefoot up to grade 10. Hmm. So only in grade 10, I started to put on shoes. And I walked to school six kilometers to school, six kilometers back home. Sometimes it will be raining, no raincoat, no umbrella. And most of my schooling, not in classes, under trees. And there I learned something. I learned that uh, anybody who's determined to make it in life can make it in life. And I saw my mom also working very hard for, for five of us. Mm. Now, then I learned an important lesson. You don't need a, a sugar daddy to make it in life. You don't need a, a government which behaves like a sugar daddy, which throws money to people. And because those people may not have that thirst, they may not work hard. Actually, that money, if you throw it to people, it may become counterproductive. I see it with my our children. Mm. My son, I, I used to buy him all the gadgets he needed and mm. he'll break them until I said no. You need to work for these gadgets. You need to search for them. Then he started to appreciate them. So because of all this background, I eventually and, and um, naturally I became, um, I opted for liberalism and, and capitalism than socialism. So you literally, you are literally that story, that sort of African child, you know, who, who studies under a tree, who walks, uh, you know, tens of kilometers a day to, to get an education. Um, and why do you why do you think it's become so controversial to use that word entitled um, and to talk about um, hard work uh, as a positive thing uh, in in sort of the the, the, the colloquial discussion? I, th- I think it's because um, since 1994 we've had, uh, as I described earlier, a sugar daddy government. Uh, what these days we call a blesser. Mm. which throws money to people, which throws grants, uh, which throws food parcels to people. Mm. And, and, and it works for this government because then the large part of population are dependent on them. They can't do, they can't imagine themselves without this, this blesser. So the moment you mention the words, uh, hard work, uh, uh, the, the words entitlement, then, then you are, you are insulting some people. Actually, I suspect that this government actually in, uh, like the fact that uh, most of our people remain uneducated because then they can, they can, they can express so many agendas, uh, so many propagandas. I mean, like, like white monopoly capitalism, like the fact that um, a DA will bring back a apartheid government. And some people may start to believe these lies mm. because 
if 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 large parts of population become educated, they'll be able to see through this propaganda. They'll be able to see through these lies. Something I just want to 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 add here. So I mean, the, the grant system. I mean, it's not perfect by any means, but you do see some pragmatic ways why it exists. Uh, it's a stopgap measure. Well, that's the intention. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be on grants for a, a certain amount of time until you can get a job or, or whatever the case might be. Unfortunately, it seems to be the only income some people make in areas. And that's where the problem lies. Yes, I, I fully agree. So, so the, the, the grants should be temporary measure for somebody between when they're unemployed until they get a job. But it has become a permanent feature. Why? Because since 1994, unfortunately, this government has neglected um, education. You know, actually, I mean, they, they, if you go to schools, kids are learning what they call mathematics literacy. Yeah, math lit. Math literacy. Uh, that's not a uh, real mathematics. And they're doing an uh, English second language. Again, that's highly improper because the best way you can empower people it's through education. So I'm seated here. Mm. I'm, 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 I'm highly empowered. Um, I mean, I, I, I live like a king. I can say that, uh, because of what I earn, you know, it has something to do with the fact that I got empowered through education, mm. but you don't see the government driving that a lot. I mean, I was, uh, I was, um, uh, earlier on saying that, uh, you look at schools in Soweto, most of them are vacated. They're closed. They're vandalized. There's no political will to get those schools uh, performing and functioning properly. Actually, what the government is doing, they are almost trying to bring down all the best-performing schools. I mean, uh, you look at uh, M. M. Isi Lusufi. Mm. He's fighting with schools in suburbs. He says they must admit kids from Tembisa and, and Soweto. But my question is, why doesn't he fix schools in Tembisa and Soweto? He needs to fix those schools. So what we're, what we're doing now, instead of empowering mm. the, the people that the government described as previously disadvantaged, is, instead of empowering them through skills, through proper education, what we do, we're trying to take from those who are empowered, we're t- taking, we take from them and we give to the so-called previously disempowered. So what we're going to have, we're going to have the society that is Going down. Yeah. So, so we, there does seem to be this thing where firstly with wealth, instead of creation of more wealth, we just go, all right, we have this amount and let's spread it around more. So, um, instead of the, you know, it's communism really. It's, it's, uh, we've got some rich people, some poor people make the rich people. Uh, a lot less rich or, or, or make them poor essentially and, and, and so we'll slightly uplift the poor but essentially we'll just have a poor country that's the one thing we do that, the other thing that seems to happen and I, I agree with you on the education is instead of trying to rise up so as you point out uh, get that school in Soweto Tembisa functioning at the highest possible level uh, we bring things to, uh, to the lowest common denominator yes. uh, so I think a lot of uh, uh, listeners uh, would probably agree that things like pass rates for matric, uh, instead of when when people when when kids weren't doing well and we had problems in schooling, instead of saying, "All right, let's try get them up to the right level," uh, we changed a pass mark from fifty percent to thirty percent. You know, so um, 
is is that just a is that a governmental thing? Is that a union problem? We know Satu is is an issue with within the teaching um, landscape. Uh, is is it is it is it just a very difficult thing to do? I mean, is it is this something we have to turn around and go? Well, the apartheid left us with a legacy where education wasn't uh, provided as well as it should have been. Uh, you know, there's arguments both sides, but certainly the the black population was not prioritized on any level. Um, and and is it just a mountain that's too too difficult to to climb? Where where do we go? There's no there's no political will from the the government to fix um, education, but also to to empower people that they claim they want empowered. Mm. Um, Twenty two years is fairly sufficient in terms of turning around education. I, mean, I got educated during those twenty two years. Yeah, you know. And, and I'm paid fairly well, fairly well. It's easy for me to, to, to get a job. Mm. Now, if within those 22 years, I was able to be educated, so many other people could have been educated, even the youngsters. But, but there's no, there's just no political will. There's no vision. I don't see vision. For example, you're talking about creation of new wealth. That's doable. You know, that's doable. We create, we can create new wealth instead of distributing what we already have. But also, the land issue. We don't have to take land from white farmers and give it to to black people. We have lots of communal land. I, I come from rural areas. Huge tracts of land that are not being used. Why can't if we, if if we are serious about the land distribution, there that's the land. Why remove uh, Mr. Fantoner? who's helping us in terms of food security, remove it from his farm, put me, I know nothing about farming. Then we are all now disadvantaged. He's not farming, Mr. Fantonier. I'm not farming. The mm. land is becoming, the, the farm is becoming underutilized. So we, have a, we don't have a visionary um, a, a government. And, and to me, that is um, a very problematic. And you are a doctor. Look at uh, health. Mm. They're talking about... Uh, National health insurance. Yeah. We're all terrified. Yes. Why don't they fix public hospitals? Yeah. But there's also this, this narrative that, um, for some, okay, I mean, apartheid happened and, and whites benefited far more than, than black people benefited. So, so there is that, the unearned privilege of white people in this country. So, and, so especially on Twitter, which obviously does not represent any any large population in this country at all, but the the theorists on Twitter say that you know all all so-called white wealth is, is unearned. Um, so they they don't see a problem with taking it away because it was unearned through a system that empowered only whites. I mean, what would you say about that? <clears throat> because it's unearned, you could take it away. No, the problem is that the moment you that that white wealth is useful for the whole country, not for not just for those white people who own that wealth. I'll give you an example. The, the, those very rich white people are the biggest taxpayer, Indeed. so they pay tax. You know, I mean, it's like it's like these elections. You hear everybody says we must put emphasis on the on the poor, as if we must forget about uh, the middle class and the rich. But the moment we neglect the middle class and the rich, they leave this country and poverty will increase. So we need to cater for them. They are very important. So those, those, those white people, the biggest 
taxpayers. They've got foundations. If you, I mean, I teach at Vets University. We've got lots of uh, donations from, from those families. But also, if I were the president of this country or in the ruling, in the governing party, I would make use of the very white people to empower black people, but without disempowering white people. I'll give you an example. If, if I've got a job and I need an engineer, I need an engineer uh, at the city of Johannesburg, mm. we're governing there, and I've got two possible candidates. One is a 50-year, 58-years-old white male, and the other one is a 22-year-old black youngster. He has just uh, graduated from uh, Tony University of Technology, but I have to give one of them a job. I'm going to give the 50-year-old white male the engineering job. Why? Because the moment, the moment you give him a job, through his productivity, he'll create more jobs. He can even create 10 to 15 jobs. There are studies that show that. And when he creates more jobs, that youngster, black, 22-year-old, who graduated from Chani, now gets a job and get to learn from this white, experienced engineer. So that's how, that's how we must do empowerment. But if you say uh, you are white, you are male, you are 58-year-old, and you take the 22-year-old one, what may happen is that department may shut down. Mm. If, it's in a, if, if it's in a commercial uh, sector, mm. your, the company, its, it's, its sustainability will be threatened. So the very job that you are giving him, you may not sustain that job. So, so I think that's what that's what we need to do. I, I think it's obvious to note, but it's not because he's black that the department will shut down. It's about experience, yes, of course, yeah. and skills. Yeah, and, yes. and I was just going to say, so it, 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 it Europe, to me, you you come across very much as a non-racialist. Like race isn't the isn't something by which you think about life or or, or, or how we go about life. It's not a moral um, question. And 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 yeah, and and. So, I think let's uh, let's let's sort of start diving into the, the politics because we've got a political system at the moment which um, I don't think uh, targets specifically any one uh, race. We do have certain policies, be and things like that. Um, but overall, our constitution says that we're all equal and we're all free and and the rest of that. Um, however. We, we've got a, we've got a, you said governing uh, party instead of ruling party. I, I heard you correct yourself. Um, we've, we've got this governing party who have over the past at least year or two have very much fixated on the sort of race baiting, um, that is, that has gone on. Uh, and we were just discussing as we were starting that we don't think it's really worked as a strategy. Um, what, what do you what do you think the, the purpose from from their perspective is of of trying to push that agenda um, and the problems that that creates in our society, if any? I mean, is 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 it? Do most people care? You see, the, the reason why they do that is because, um, as I said, they're not visionary. They've failed to to turn around this country. They could have done that. It's doable. Uh, this country is very rich. Natural is very rich. Mm-hmm. We can do a lot, but but they failed drastically to do that. So so it's propaganda, um, and this propaganda will continue for some time. 
Um, if uh, something comes up positively between EFF and the DA and, and they govern together Tswane and Johannesburg, I swear the reaction from um, the African National Congress will be that, ah, EFF, now you're governing with the the white monopoly capitalists and all those things. But but most people um, are, are becoming uh, wise. Um, they won't take it. Um, they won't take it seriously. Um, I hear people saying that um, uh, ANC is going to become a rural party. No, it won't. It will die slowly because revolution starts in cities. So once the the middle class and the professionals starts to move uh, in terms of politically, moving to, for example, DA the rural masses will start to follow. And actually, ANC knows that. That's why they are worried about Johannesburg because it has a huge psychological impact on the, on the voter. So this, this propaganda of white versus black, they wouldn't be able to sustain it. Well, and as we just said, I mean, the, the electorate completely rejected that narrative as well. But um, so... Going back to race in in a way, but more about jobs and skills, and especially around the new fees must fall reloaded that is coming up apparently soon. So you wrote you wrote a very perceptive column on skills shortage about a trip that you took, and the professors who went with you were all much older than you. You were the youngest one, by far, on that particular trip, mm. and you said there were very few people able who are able to to replace those professors when they retire. These professors, you know, have been in the jobs for. 30 years, uh, 40 years, and there, there's no real protégés coming up to replace them. And, and you use that narr- that analogy to make a, a more, uh, how can I explain, like a, a point about, about our job market in general. There's a massive, massive skill shortage. But um, f- from our perspective, there's, there's more than, more than ever, there's people graduating every year. There's more graduates every year than I ever know. So why is there a skill shortage at the same time? It doesn't make sense to me. I, th- I think it's because of, uh, it goes with the experience. We, we, we have forced, um, some of our very highly skilled people experienced. We have forced them into early retirement. Some of them, uh, particularly farmers, we have forced them out of the country. And, and that's the, that's the problem that we have. So yes, indeed, we have youngsters who are graduating, but they need, um, um experienced people for, for handholding, uh, professionally. Now we can't have that. But the other big problem that we have is, um, um, I mean, I once wrote a piece, uh, it was published by, uh, Politics Web. Uh, and I, there I addressed the black professionals. And the title was, um, being black is not a commodity. And some of the things that I raised there is the fact that the black professionals in particular, most, most, not all of them, most of them never stay in a job and attain experience. So because there are very few black professionals in certain skills or certain sectors, the guy will go there, eight months he has left, so he, but he has not accumulated a lot of hands-on experience. That is a problem. So that person will never become a specialist. So that's why Titombaweni, the then uh, governor of the Reserve Bank, he once said, I'm, I'm happy with my, my white Afrikaners. Uh, I give them a job. They stay in a job. They attain skills. They attain experience. They, they became, they become specialists. So we're not producing specialists. 
and that's that's a big problem. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, the unions killed off internships. Um, Due to minimum wage laws and labor laws now, internships are dead. So if you want to learn how to be an electrician, you can't go with a single electrician. You have to go to a firm of electricians. Hopefully they can afford your minimum wage internship salary as well. I mean, that's another factor that that confounds this issue, unfortunately. Yes, you see, because of the sugar daddy and blesser government mentality, uh, we are going to get we are actually already in skills crisis but it will get worse um, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa have now appointed um, a team that is going to determine a minimum wage but you know what will happen at the back of their minds and according to their propaganda they are doing that for the black masses for the previously disadvantaged actually I once tweeted, tweeted about uh, uh, criticizing this uh, minimum wage you don't know how I got insulted mm. by black people. They think it's about them. No. That, that, that's the problem. What will happen is minimum wage will actually increase unemployment. I always give this example. If, um, if, if I take my car to a car wash once, once a week mm. with a tip, I pay around 100 rents. Mm. But how about somebody who's unemployed? They are passing um, on my street. My car is parked outside. It's dirty. They say they see me outside working on my garden, and and request to wash my car. I'm not going to pay that person under rents. I'll say to them, the brush is mine. The soap, so many things that you are going to to use. The water is mine. Mm. I'm prepared to pay you twenty rents, maybe with a tip thirty rents. Mm. But if that person agrees. And wash the car. My neighbor may say, hey, Rabelani, the guy who comes to your home every weekend to wash the car, can you also come to me? Then the guy now is making 60 rands. Later on, 90 rands, three homes now. Mm. But in the long term, he may, he, he'll bring his brush. He'll bring his polish. He'll say, no, you, uh, a prof, you can't pay me 20 rands anymore. I'm using my brush. So the fee goes high. But he got a job now. Mm. And he's now a specialist. And eventually after two years, in my neighborhood, he's going to open a car wash and employ other people. So that's how that's how we created a job because there was no minimum wage. So we paid him 20 rands. But out of that, it grew until he could even open his own car wash mm-hmm. and even employ other people. But the moment you say the minimum rate to wash a car is 40 rands, I'm going to wash my car. Yeah. I wash my car personally. Then somebody's dis- disadvantaged mm. and that's the problem so you, you deny access to the market um I, I think you know the point is is it's a great analogy and, and an example it's it's been proven again and again that that minimum wage um really does sort of uh, stunt economic growth and and access to jobs yeah well it depends on the economy like if you have a highly functional skilled economy minimum wage does make sense in a way but not in a, a third world economy like us especially a standard one but the biggest problem with the minimum wage is that it it makes uh voluntary contracts illegal if we if i agree to work for you prof for a thousand rand a month and we both agree that's illegal now which 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 i find it odd in in an economy where there are so few skilled people as well that's the problem. Some people can't justify that minimum wage at all. I, th- I think we should just let the market. Now, people say, oh, there's going to be abuse. Whether this minimum wage regime, which, mm. which is legalized, mm. 
there still be some people who are abusing. Yeah, they'll break the law. People and, break the law all the time. And that's that's wrong. And some of them are ANC MPs. Oh yes, of course they are. But but it doesn't necessarily mean that there'll be large scale abuse. Actually, they won't. Where I live in the neighborhood where I live, mm. I live in an estate, uh, security, whatever estate. Yeah. Now, you are not going to pay your housekeeper who works full time three thousand rands. They won't stay. The guy next door will, will give them a job. Yeah. So, so the market there where, 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 where I live kind of regulate how much we pay our housekeepers, which, which I think is a, is a fairly, um, good amount. Yeah. I mean, when you look at that sector. Yeah. And well, that's the argument for the free market, really. And, uh, mm. it, it works. All right. So on the free market, let's, let's move, let's move back a little bit to elections. So. Let's go back to, I think it was last year, towards the end of last year, October or somewhere around there, I, I remember seeing. Um, ultimately, uh, Herman Mashava was uh, the uh, DA candidate for, for Joburg mayor. Who, who knows with uh, the, all the negotiations that are going on, um, if he, he still might become the mayor, in fact. Uh, he's an interesting character. Uh, so you can tell us, yeah, I'm sure you know him relatively well. You can tell us a bit more about him, but he, I find him quite fascinating from the DA perspective in that he, <laughs> I think he gave the DA a bit of a fright because he brings them back to their liberal roots. Um, and he is really quite a truly classical liberal from what I've, what I can tell. Um, which I think scared the hell out of the DA. Shortly after he was nominated, he made some comment about, you know, uh, I don't, Ramon, do you remember the exact oh, one? BE. He's like, I'm not black. My race doesn't define me. You shouldn't define, yeah. I don't see race. And he, I think he also made a comment about social grants. Um, and of right. course the DA is, 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 uh, we, let's not get to the DA just yet, but they are kind of stuck in this internal war between becoming more sort of social Democrats and, uh, the other side, which pulls him to a more liberal, classically liberal stance. Um, but you were in a sort of race with, 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 uh, Mr. Mashava, um, to, to be that candidate. So tell us a little bit about that and, and, and. Yes, I, um, philosophically, uh, in terms of, um, uh, political ideology, Herman and I are in the, in the same camp. Mm. Uh, we are a little bit on the right. Uh, of the DA, uh, we believe in capitalism, uh, we believe in, in free market, in liberalism. Mm. I mean, he's, uh, he occupied a senior position with the Free Market Foundation. I am a policy fellow with the um, South African uh, Institute of Race Relations. So I, th- I think there was a lot of uh, similarities uh, between the two of us, the way in which we grew up. You know, I, I think Herman is what he is also because of how he grew up, how how uh, as, as, as a child to 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 a single mom, mm. uh, you know, and and also how he started working at a very younger age, you know, working for himself, empowering himself, you know, all those things. So yes, he was a, a successful candidate. I knew that would happen mm. uh, because. He's highly more known, mm. and I think the party took the right decision. You know, they needed somebody who's already known. It becomes much easier mm. to to make use of that person to campaign. That's the political game, really. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm. But would you have accepted a, a nomination to be the candidate if it was offered to you? For example, if he won, would have, would you have been happy to 
prospectively be the new mayor. Oh yes, yes, I would, I would. Yeah. And and, uh, and if you were, what what policies would you employ in in Joburg Metro? Now, if say if you had to have a five point plan, for example, what, what would you do? One 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 of the things would be just the base to to look at the basics, traffic lights. I mean, from 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 where I live to M one, it's uh, maybe around three kilometers. Sometimes I use forty minutes, three kilometers from my home to M one. I mean that that can't be right, you know. So we need to we need to look at that, and that's what frustrates business people, the professionals. Mm. You know, it frustrates them when I go to Cape Town. I can't remember when I got a traffic light not functioning, but you know. So one will look at those basics, but secondly, very importantly, is manufacturing. Since 1994, um, we are deindustrializing as the country, as as an economy, almost every month. A manufacturing firm is closing in this country. We need to go back to manufacturing. And people think when you talk manufacturing, it's outdated. And no, we still need that. If you look at uh, economies like um, Germany, um, China, you look at uh, Singapore. They're still doing um, some uh, manufacturing. Um, I think it's something that um, one one will do uh, in terms of attracting um, investors. However... One will constantly be in collusion with the national government. You know, the national government, not intentionally because of their laws, they, w- they were going to constantly sabotage one's plans in terms of um, reindustrializing the, the economy in Johannesburg through manufacturing. But it was one of the things that um, uh, we were going to look at. And then you look also the the inner city, very dirty. I must admit, I go there quite often. Um, and it has improved drastically in the past five years. I must be honest. I mean, kudos to Mr. Tao, or Mayor Tao. I don't know how much of a hand he had to play in it because a lot of, actually, a lot of private businesses have their own cleaning team, their own security team, their own everything. And they look after like blocks at a time. So BHP Bulletin looks after a whole block and it's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, but it has improved quite a lot, but it's only, Five blocks out of yes, I don't know how many hundreds. We, we could we could still uh, uh, make it better, and then fourthly, public transport. Uh, we need to actually. Uh, we are far behind most of the cities in terms of um, uh, public transport. Actually, you shudder to think how you survive a week without a car in Johannesburg. Um, I, I think we need to do something in terms of uh, public transport, and also the levels of um, uh, crime. So you need the JPMD must also start to get into that by by just being visible mm-hmm. um, rather than hiding behind bushes. <laughs> you know, I think that will help. So there, it's very essentially, you know, you, you in government would would it's relatively basic things that yes. that you that you would look to do. I've often argued that all. People really want to, I mean, Ramon's not a voter. Um, I, I believe in voting. I'm not um, a voter, but I still want what you're about to say. Yeah. So, Thank you. so, um, which is, which is people just want this, people generally just want stuff to work. They don't really want politicians to interfere greatly in their yes. lives and tell them how yes. to, how to live, but they do want to drive out of their house and, as you point out, have, a, have traffic lights work and, and, uh, you know, the, the public transport's a, a great example. I, I still don't understand how, uh, certainly, we ne- we 
neglected areas like Soweto uh, for you know the entire apartheid regime essentially. But I, I'm I'm confused as to how. Uh, 20 years later, it still might take a domestic worker who lives in Soweto uh, two hours to get to the home she works in in Santon. That seems unacceptable, uh, especially given that in my car I can I can mm. do that same trip mm. in, in kind of half an hour. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we, we haven't addressed those kinds of small issues, which I think make huge differences in people's lives. I, I think those things are underestimated often by the the politics of of things, um, would you agree with that? Yes, it's also about why do people get into politics, and I mean we're talking about uh, Herman Mashaba. He says um, um, he's not a politician, mm. but rather a, a people servant. I love that kind of uh, attitude. Uh, by the way, if he becomes a mayor, they're going to pay him per year one point two million, which is far little than. What he was earning in the in the private sector, but yet he's prepared to to do that. Now the problem with uh, most people in the current um, governing party is that, truly speaking, most of them they are there to empower themselves to accumulate as much as, as possible. You were giving example of um, a housekeeper who works in Senten, but but they live in Soweto. Look look at the train uh, situation, the real real mm-hmm. situation. Uh, all the stories we hear about Prasa um, in Transnet, where, where, where you have people there who are accumulating and stealing massively. That's the problem. Because I, I, don't, have, I don't have a problem with people enriching themselves, mm. especially politics. In fact, I expect it. Mm. But if, if the, the outcome is good service from the state, I mean, we sort of, we like sort of let it go, right? I mean, if they were doing the job properly and, um, Thing, and what they had to do was being done, and they cream off whatever five percent at the top. Like, okay, yes, it's it's part of the bureaucracy. We accept it, but here we've got only creaming off at the top and no outcomes. Well, yes. not not no outcomes. I mean, to be fair, there, there are some, but not to to a degree we would expect. The other day I was listening. Um, I don't remember the name of the radio station, but somebody was saying, where in in a, in other countries. Where a big bureaucrat in government, for for every ten rents, they will pocket two rents. Eight rents will go to the projects, but they'll take two rents. In South Africa, it's vice versa. For every ten rents, mm. they'll take eight rents, and only two rents will go to to serve the people. And and I think that's the big problem. Yeah. All right. So we now sit with the situation that we need. Some of the parties, they have to form a coalition. I, I don't really understand the full workings of uh, the local government. Um, I have tried to read up a little bit on it, but it is it is relatively complex in terms of I, – I, I thought it was quite complex in terms of the seats that each party holds and then um, what that actually means because coalitions – you know, you make a coalition today, it doesn't really mean much going forward because at any point uh, those seats can vote against you and, you know, there's all all kinds of ramifications uh, in, in that sense. Um, what do you think is is the best possible outcome? We've got uh, Nelson Mandela Bay certainly is is is, is up for grabs. I, I don't know if the DA's got enough to make it there without um, 
necessarily. I think the EFF is their big stumbling block because they are diametrically opposed as as, as organisations. Um, they may have enough to to make a coalition there without the EFF. But uh, Nelson Mandela Bay is up, Trane is up, Joburg's up. Um, these are all places where the ANC could potentially lose uh, the rule. Um, so what do you think is the best sort of outcome uh, that people could look forward to? Uh, that's assuming, I mean, if you're an ANC supporter, the best outcome is that the ANC gets into coalition with, with someone. But, you know, if you feel it's the other way around, what are, you, what are your, your thoughts? I, I, I think the best possible outcome will be for the DA and um, EFF to get into a partnership and, and form governments um, in Tswane, Johannesburg, and uh, Port Elizabeth, you know, because... Um, but after that, um, psychologically, that will have a huge impact in the electorate. But also, it will be, a, it will possibly be a rough ride. Mm. But I think the next elections, uh, there'll be outright winner. Uh, you know, the, the voters will will give a pre- precise mandate to to a particular party, and possibly, I suppose, I'm biased. Possibly, that will be. The DA. What I what I said about that coalition, which 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 I like in a way, both parties can actually learn from each other in a way. So the EFF can become quite a professional organization quite quickly because the DA is the most professional one in this regard, and the DA can dismiss those myths that they don't actually care about the poor, despite all the evidence in the world that most of the money in the cave is going to poor areas. Um, so I think they can both learn from each other. I just don't know. How strong the will of the EFF is to actually run the municipality, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I've raised the point that my biggest concern is you go into a coalition, um, and and essentially with a party that has spent their time in government um, fighting. I, you know, they've whether you agree with those fights or not is really beside the point for me because. Um, I, I can't see much achievement. So they made a lot of noise in Parliament, for example. There's a lot of noise and a lot of fights. And it's almost now, you know, the first time there was a fist fight in Parliament, we were all like, oh, my goodness, there's a fist fight in our Parliament. And now it's kind of like, eh, you know, this is like the way we now do business. Um, and I'm just concerned that uh, any coalition, and I, I'd say this as well for the ANC, I think if the ANC gets into bed with the EFF, which which I do believe would be a nail in the coffin of the EFF, um, because I, I think their, their voters would be very displeased with that. I think they would deal with a with a DA coalition far better. Uh, but I just I just have concern that we see the same thing in the Gauteng legislature, for example, that we we end up seeing, um, you know, come budget time, uh, the EFF kind of just shouting, making noise, and 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 arguing instead of just getting on with the business, and. As entertaining as that might be, or even if they may have a point, uh, at the end of the day, we just want a budget so that we can actually get guys on the street fixing traffic lights, metro police, policing, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, opinions on, on, on whether they can actually behave? Yes, I, I do have opinions, but I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to express myself. I understand um, um, negotiations uh, between the DA and EFF are at a very delicate uh, they're very delicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so. By the way, I, I should have mentioned the fact that uh, I am um, the DA councillor elect. So, so I'll be shown in possibly next week Monday, 
when when the mayor and and the speaker gets um, elected. So I don't want to say mm. anything here <laughs> we, that will jeopardize. Uh, we didn't know you were so embedded. <laughs> this is a Bannon show. <laughs> we should have we should have had an EFF councillor and a, and an ANC councillor. In fairness, we've tried to invite the EFF on the show, Jonathan. We have failed our <laughs> listeners. Yes. Um, no, we don't care about Bannons at all. We, ha- we 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 get whoever we want inside. Okay, so you have in a so okay, so you got some information we don't. Okay, so and I understand why you hesitate. So I don't want to it. say something here. Yeah, that that, will, that, that then yeah. comes back later and and yeah. and has it's politics basically. Yes. And, and but just say my point that the DAEFF coalition could actually be a force for good yes. in the long run. And yes. both parties could actually gain, <coughs> gain from it. Uh, right. Do you have any idea? Is the DA going to push for uh, giving people title deeds um, in the new areas that they govern? Because I know that they've started to do that in the Cape. No, that I can I can tell you. Yes, uh, in Johannesburg, uh, we think the the very first hundred days, um, uh, the, the 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 mayor, uh, Herman Mashaba. If he becomes a mayor, I've got no doubt within the first hundred days um, he'll issue some title deeds. Well, I hope so because I mean, Alex, as an example, is yes. is, is is one of the areas which which is in dire need of of giving people property rights. It is it is just ripe for for investment and wealth to be created in these places, but people can't because they don't own the the land. It, it makes me it frustrates me no end that people cannot own the pieces of land they live on. And therefore, they cannot invest in it. They cannot uh, get security against it. They don't. They they can't. Like it's just there's just sunken drudgery. But in Alex all the time, it's like just give them the title deeds and watch their place flourish without needing anything else. Just give them the title deeds. But talking about title deeds and land ownership, it's going to get worse. Um, I mean. We talk about the 2013 um, land. We talk about the 2013 um, land act. Um, ANC, ANC is bringing the 2013 land act through the expropriation bill. Right. Remember, according to that bill, if Mr. Fantoner loses the land, the land is expropriated from them. Mm. It's given to me, Rabelan Dagada. I'm not going to own that land. It will be a lease of around them. Um, Hundred years, maybe after hundred years, I may own that land. Now, what it means is, my grandfather never owned land, my father never owned land. It also means, I I won't own land. Neither will your children. Yes. Oh, I said hundred years. No, I think it's a lease. Lease of around fifty years. But in fifty years' time, I'll be in the wheelchair or or long debt. So. I'm just saying that because Roman is talking about um, um, land ownership, but I'm saying the present government doesn't appear to be going to allow people to own land anytime soon. And the, the problem is that uh, most of the laws that ANC come up with, they say they are doing that to advance and to empower black people. No, those laws are actually going to disadvantage the very black people that they say they're going to empower. I mean, that's not a surprise. I mean, governments do that all over yeah. the world. But what do you think of land in general? Uh, as of, uh, I understand the emotional attachment to land. So, so the EFF does this quite well. It's about, well, sort of, but they, they have an emotional attachment. It's about the dignity of our people to have the land that where their ancestors lived on or their grandfathers lived on. And I, I, I accept that premise. Not, it just, as an emotional premise, not as an economic one or political one. But in general, do you think land reform 
is necessary. I mean, I think it is, but you just give people title deeds on the place they already live on. But in as a macro issue, do you think it is a, an issue for most people? No, no. It it is land reform is necessary, and and I'll qualify my statement. It is necessary, but is it preoccupying the minds of most people? No. I mean, uh, uh, I work with the IRR Institute of Race Relations. Most people, what they want is, is jobs. So they are moving from rural areas, coming to Johannesburg. What they want is, is, is to get employment opportunities and thereafter be able to buy a property and have a title deed for that property. Most people are not thinking of having a 20-hectare land for farming and, and all those things. Now, talking about land reform, I'm, I'm for land reform as long as you are not taking a, a, a farm that is functioning properly. You're taking it away from Mr. Fantonier and give it to me. That is totally wrong. I'm against that. That's not how we create wealth. I'm saying the best we can do is for the so-called communal land. If you want to empower me by giving me land, give me that land that is not being used. Now, the, uh, the argument that I get from um, ANC people is that uh, that land is not arable land. That is not true. Mm. Where, where I come from, the land is so rich. And the micro farmers, um, they're doing very well. I mean, actually, at some point, President Zuma mentioned them. Um, he mentioned an area around 180. That's where I come from. There are about 300 black farmers farming there, and they're doing very well. So it is not true that communal land is not arable. But then again, I mean, the, the point of giving land is not for people to be farmers, right? I mean, not many people don't want to farm. If you look at, at, at land that has been given back, people do prefer the cash value of that land, not the land itself, which is a very um, legitimate reason I would think um, people don't want to farm and it's perfectly fine. I don't expect them to farm either if they receive land. It's about owning something which, um, from which you can organize your life, invest in the business, uh, get capital, um, mortgage it for, for something else. I mean, without property rights, very few other rights exist. Yes. All right. So let's, uh, while we're talking about land and, and controversial land, um, you are, a quite a proponent of the only democracy in the Middle East. Uh, so if your ears perked up at that, um, that would be Israel. Um, and it's uh, not without fault. So you can, you can tell us a bit about that. Um, but you, you, you're quite a fan of, of, of the country, I assume. Um, tell us, tell us a bit about your interest. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, you you described Israel as the most kind of I'm I'm, I'm uh, prefacing what you said. Is that the right English? Yeah, yeah it's fine. Uh, paraphrasing. Paraphrasing, good. What you have said that is the most thriving democracy um, in the Middle East. Actually, um, Israel is the best ever place you could be in the Middle East. And guess who told me that? Israeli Arabs. The Israeli Arabs who live in Israel, who are citizens in Israel, some people will say you are, uh, other Arabs tend to say to them they are second citizens in Israel, which according to my research, I mean, I went to Israel and I've talked to various people, talked to Arabs, talked to the Jews, I've read extensively 
It is not true that they are second citizens. But they say to me, those are the uh, Israeli Arabs. Even if we're second citizens, then we are far much better than all other Arabs elsewhere outside of Israel. They would rather be a second citizens, but get the first great life in Israel. Um, but 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 much has been said about Israel, which is not true. For example, that Israel is an apartheid state. That's not true. Um, everybody they treated um, equally. I mean, twenty six percent of the citizens are Arabs, and uh, about um, no twenty one percent of citizens are Arabs, and then twenty one seventy one percent are Israeli Jews. Um, they are treated. Um, Equally, there are some differences. For example, uh, they tend to go to different schools, but it is not forced. It is because of the culture and religion. It's choice. It's choice. Now, and it makes sense. Uh, practically, it makes sense. So on a Friday, in that particular school that is predominantly uh, Arab mm. school, they'll be able to observe their, their prayers. Whereas um, on a Saturday, uh, the Jews, that particular school, They'll be able to observe um, Sabbath, so mm. there's that. But it's not it's not forced; mm. it's, it's because of choice. So the the whole notion that uh, Israel is an apartheid state is not true. Yeah, it's um, it's it's but it's it gained a lot of traction. Uh, certainly, uh, it, it, with with a lot of help in South Africa, we we do have a lot of proponents of that argument here. Um, I think I think important to note as well is 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 to uh, and and I don't want to be accused of of sort of throwing in a red herring, but to look at places where there almost is apartheid. Um, so if we if we look at you know places like Saudi Arabia where they separate their their men and women, for example, and and women really are second class citizens. Um, if uh, if if we look at uh, countries like uh, uh, you know, Iran, which used to actually be quite a free country once upon a time, um, but uh, where they've expelled people of, 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 of other religions, essentially. There's small pockets um, here and there, but essentially you're, you're not really welcome if you're, if you're not, um, you know, a part of the larger population group. Um, we've got, uh, and, and it's a worldwide movement, this BDS movement. So they, they say, look, because I think it's important to say that, you know, for all the good that may happen in Israel and, and within the Israeli borders, if you're an Arab or a Jew or whatever, if you're an Israeli citizen, you live in a free democracy. You can be gay, you can be uh, um, whatever, you can interracial marriage, you know, all these things that actually are, are frowned upon within the Middle East very often um, are, are perfectly fine in, in Israel. However, there is the, the, the issue around Gaza and the uh, the ongoing sort of, I suppose the only way to describe it is a conflict with uh, with the Palestinians. Um, so what what about the sort of argument there that the Israelis are committing a genocide and um, the Palestinians are completely you know oppressed by the sort of much more powerful Israeli force? Um, what do you what do you feel about that that argument? Actually, I I, I visited Israel at the beginning of this year. Uh, I was I was amazed by the generosity of Israel towards the Palestinians, both in Gaza and the West Bank. For example, if you look at the, the border, the border between um, Gaza and Egypt, Egypt has closed that 
bordered totally. Mm. So there's no movement of goods and people between Gaza and Egypt. And now those Gaza is, is, is I mean, it's occupied by Arabs, Egypt Arabs. So you would have thought an Arab state will be more friendlier towards Gaza, but it's totally opposite. Now, the goods that go to the goods that goes to Gaza, they go via Israel. So Israel allow goods to from Europe. Some of them are donations and and so many other things, construction goods and materials. They move from they they, they move through Israeli border. Israel border, which to me that's very important. And Israel supplies water to to Gaza. Of course, they have to pay. Do they pay? Not really. So, so Israel does supply water and electricity to Gaza. What is even interesting, during even during a war when the two are fighting, Israel and Gaza, Israel continues to supply water and electricity. In some instances, Gaza militants will destroy water infrastructure. Israel will go and fix that. So I find Israel to be... Uh, very, very generous, you know. But also, most commentators and analysts tend to be very harsh towards uh, Israel. I think there is a race element. For example, if if um, somebody in Gaza or some people, militants in Gaza, attack uh, Israelis, and Israel Israel has to revenge, they will run into a school. If Israel bombed that school, the outcry is so huge. But when you look at what those people did, they did even worse. So it is like, ah, oh, Israel, you are white. So we, we, we expect certain behavior and standards from you, moral behavior, than the Arabs. Nobody says that, but that's how I see it. I completely agree with you. I yes. do think there's a double standard yeah. in terms of, of uh, it's moral relativism. In fact, it's it's a bit similar to to the narrative here, where if you're black and poor, you can't do any wrong, even if you destroy private property or whatever the case might be, you can't do no wrong. And it's very similar in Israel, because I think because Israel is actually a, I think it's a constitutional democracy, um, or it's certainly a democracy, and and I do find that. People often use the term anti-Zionist as opposed to anti-Semite. Because I mean, anti-Semitism is wrong, but you can be against Israel. I'm still trying to 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 find the definition, the the two definitions of those words, because I think they they mean the same thing to a lot of people in their minds. For example, in the Olympics, uh, a lot of Arab athletes refuse to shake the hands of. The Israeli athletes, or, or to or to be, compete against them, or, or or compete against them. If it if, if it was any other nationality or race or whatever the case might be, it would be deemed racist or yes. or something like that. But if it's against Israel, oh, it's it's just they're fighting from a you know they they're fighting a system of oppression. So we sort of accept that. So I, I do find there's a double standard and. And let's not forget, I mean, Gaza is governed by Hamas, right? Yes. And, and the charge of Hamas is the destruction of Israel. Yes. So why would you expect them to get along? Yes. So, so let's talk about that quick because, I mean, you've obviously got an interest. You've been there. Um, two-state solution, you still uh, you, you think that's that's possible? Yes, I do. I and, and the best solution? Yes. I, I, th- I think we, we there should be um, two-state solutions, but the greatest uh, impediment – to the two uh, two two state solutions, 
are the Palestinians. I mean, the Hamas and Fatah, they are fighting amongst themselves. It's not Israel. So, But for the two-state solution to happen, we need strong leadership amongst the Palestinians. We don't have that. Not even in the West Bank. Mm. No, I mean, you have a leadership there that can't call its people to order when they are wrong. That can't condemn um, obvious acts of terrorism where, 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 where people stab the Jews for no reason. So, for the two-state solution to happen, you need strong leadership. There's no strong leadership that said, look at South Africa. Nelson Mandela was a, a very strong leader, and that helped. He will say things that um, even to black people, his utterances were not popular at that point in time. For example, he said to the ANC, we can't continue with the arms struggle. It's not going to... We can't negotiate with uh, with uh, F.W. de Klerk and his people whilst at the same time we are fighting with them. Let's stop... Um, Let's stop um, uh, the, the arms engagement. And that was not popular, but it happened. He was a strong leader. And at some point, he's, he, he went overseas. When he came back to South Africa, he said, we are not going to, I want the right word, where you t- or nationalize the banks and the mines. We are not going to do that. At that point in time, that was not popular amongst black people and, and the ANC, but he said it, but in the long term, there were lots of benefits out of that. So you need something like that in the Palestinian side. A leader who says, no, this is wrong. We're not going to push the Israelis to the sea or to extinguish them. It mm. won't happen. Yeah, I think, uh, Ramon, you listened to a podcast recently which gave a lot of the history around this, uh, perhaps... Uh, a bit of background listening, it, it would be useful for people who might be more interested. Oh, absolutely. So it's a, it's a shout out to Daryl Cooper. He's an American chap and he's got a podcast called Martyr Made. So it's M-A-T-Y-R, M-A-D-E, one word. And it is a 12 hour long podcast sliced into, I think, about five episodes <clears throat> about the history of the creation of Israel. And it is absolutely fascinating. So, um, if, yeah, if you listen to that, you'll, you'll understand why why the conflict arises today, and you'll know that it's actually purely political in the end. It's got nothing to do, very little to do with religion, religion until quite recently. Yeah, I think a lot of the more religious states like to kind of hop on the bandwagon and, and make it a religious. I thing. mean, I mean, um, from uh, don't take my word, but anti-Semitism only came really came about in the Middle East um, after World War Two. I mean, before that, I, I don't. I mean, Hitler is still seen as like some kind of hero in some areas uh, of the Middle East for extinguishing Jews. But before then, it was purely political. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I think we've we've touched on a lot of topics there. Uh, looking forward to next week. You'll be a you'll be a counselor. Is that a first time thing? No, actually, I've I've during the last two and five years, eh? during the last two and a half years. I've been a DA counselor at the city of Johannesburg. Okay. So this will be kind of a second term. Uh, we missed that in your bio. Apologies. We didn't see that. Well, Ravilani, I mean, thank you, thank you for, for joining us. It was, uh, well, I enjoyed it. I hope, I hope you did too. I hope, I did. I hope the conversation uh, was to your liking. I did. Yeah, right. maybe we can have you back, uh, and, uh, once, uh, 
things are underway with hopefully a coalition government and, and when we can shout at you about things that aren't working. <laughs> uh, and, and if and if you do take uh, Johannesburg, um, this this podcast needs a sponsor. Uh, so, so, city of Joburg. We'll, we'll, we'll gladly do ten, some tender work. Uh, we will. I don't know. You can hire us to do like outside broadcasts. Nothing is below us. <laughs> we will take money from anyone. Right. Uh, you can find Ravalani uh, on Twitter. Um, it's Ravalani underscore Dagada. Uh, he's also got his own website. That's Ravalani Dagada dot yes, yes. um, You can find him. Find him there. Um, does consulting work and, and, and also I think some speaking as well. So if you're interested in, in having him, uh, please, please contact him. It's another show, Ramon. Another show, uh, done. And yeah, this was great. Next one will be as great. We promise. Yeah. Two PhDs in a row though. Can you believe it? Yes. So we, I think we had four in total. Oh, oh did you go back and count? Well, Michael Cardo. Yeah. Uh, Franz Grenier. Yeah. Ross Tucker. And now Rabalani. Now Rabalani. Right. Thanks very much for listening. Renegade Reports on Facebook, uh, on Twitter at Renegade underscore report. Uh, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, uh, if you're using our phones and, and Apple. Uh, otherwise we're available on the Cliff Central app, Pocket Cast. Tell your friends about it. Uh, really get the word out there and we will catch you next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Central. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.